Our second scripture lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew, beginning in the third chapter at the first verse. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. The people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when John saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, We are Abraham's ancestors. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children, to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, his winnowing fork in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Holy and gracious God, we come in this season of Advent, ready to hear Christmas songs. But you confront us with John the Baptist and the fiery words of repentance. You still give us time to prepare our hearts to truly receive the grace and love and hope of Jesus Christ. And so we thank you Truly open us to that grace and hope. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. We slay dragons, the fire-breathing dragons, the monstrous beasts. Hercules killed Hydra with its nine poisonous heads. Perseus killed the dragon, Cetus, and rescued Andromeda. St. George killed the dragon and became popular in the West, we should know, during the time of the Crusades when Christians were going off to kill the dragon of Islam. 
Not all dragons, however, are bad. Some dragons are very, very good. And it is in these good, fiery dragons in which we find our greatest hope. If you look at Edward Hicks' painting of the peaceable kingdom on the cover of your bulletin, you might expect somewhere in there to see a dragon. That peaceful lion next to the ox and the leopard and the little child. It is that idyllic peace of which Isaiah writes, when the predator and prey are at one, when the wild animal and the domesticated beast are together. No creature must kill for its food, and even the little child shall live in safety and security, because there is peace. Hicks painted this scene over and over again as if to give himself hope that such peace was possible and would come. It is such great joy and great good hope for what our God wills and will do. But of course, it's hard to hope sometimes when we see all of the divisions in our nations and in our families, conservative Christians and progressive Christians, those in favor of gay marriage and those opposed, Tea Party Republicans and liberal Democrats, those with health care and those without, those whose income is increasing, and those who are protesting outside of the Walmart for a living wage. Mix some of that conservative and progressive Christianity and Tea Party Republican and liberal Democrat and throw in gay marriage and health care at the Thanksgiving dinner table and watch the sparks fly. I know some of you did that. There is such great fear and such deep division. At times, we want to eat each other alive. It is instructive that this passage of peace is immediately preceded by a passage about justice. There is no peace without justice. Isaiah longs for peace, but also longs for the leader who will lead us into such peace. And he speaks of the idyllic king, the one on whom the Spirit of God rests, with wisdom and understanding, with power and might, with the fear of the Lord, piety 
power and wisdom who will use his authority on behalf of the poor and to defend the weak and the vulnerable. This is the one of peace, the one who does justice, and he will burn all the wickedness with his fiery breath. John the Baptist is spitting fire, calling the woes and authority snakes and demanding that people forget any pretense of entitlement and start living just and generous lives. He hopes not for a just warrior king, but for a violent end-of-the-world judge who will bring his own fire to kill the wicked. And people are coming out to him because he speaks of change. You can change. We can change. We can allow God's fire to change us. God can make us ready for the kingdom to purify our hearts and our souls of hatred and petty jealousies and greed. John could wash it away, but the one to come would bring down hellfire and burn away all our evil. Is it any wonder that John was slain? Of course, neither Isaiah nor John the Baptist got what they were thinking they were going to get. No warrior king, no end-of-the-world judge, but Jesus, who healed and taught and who spoke enough fiery words of justice on behalf of the poor and the outcast that he too was slain. But as Christians, we know that you may kill the one who hopes, and you may kill the one of peace. You cannot kill hope itself. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And out of the tomb rose a fire that ignited a church with the passion and the hope to heal the world. This past week, a great man died. Nelson Mandela symbolized hope for people longing to be free, for people longing for peace and unity and harmony all over the world. I was in South Africa in 1983 when Nelson Mandela had already been in prison for 19 years. And Mandela's imprisonment was the symbol of apartheid and all that was wrong with South Africa. That political system based on segregation of the races and white supremacy. I was with a church group and we saw some of the division in that nation. We saw people living in plastic, behind plastic sheeting, held up by wooden sticks to be out of the cold. We saw 
shanty town after shanty town. We ate dinner in white South Africans' homes who were beautiful people, so gracious, with well-watered lawns and swimming pools who had never been allowed to see what we had seen. The mission hospital where the nurses tried to keep the starving children alive. There were at least three grades of meat in apartheid South Africa so that when you went to the butcher there was meat reserved for white people and there was meat reserved for colors, not black. And there was meat reserved for pets. And then there was the meat for black people because they were less than human. The divisions were so great and the fear so deep When we celebrate the life of Mandela and all of the hope that he brings, and all of the hope that he brought to the people of South Africa and that symbol of the peaceful resolution that came about, we have to go back and remember the fiery words that sent him to prison. The ANC was founded in 1912 and for 50 years worked in nonviolent ways of civil disobedience for the unity of white and black in South Africa. For 50 years. Mandela was part of that for 20. And after 50 years of nonviolent protest and civil disobedience, making no progress, and continuing to see the decimation and the way to the genocide of his people, he took on the tactic of sabotage. And that so-called armed wing of the ANC targeted symbols of oppression to blow them up. At his trial for treason, Mandela spoke for almost four hours and told the world about the truth of apartheid. He told them about the homelands where people were forced to live with no arable land, no means of employment, that were often penned in by barbed wire and the men would go off to work in the mines. Mandela told them, told the world about the injustice of the educational system and the past laws that criminalized so much of the nation and the poverty and most of all what it's like to be treated as less than human for all your life. Finally, he called for democracy. 
And those were the fiery words that got him in prison. He said, I have fought against white domination and I have fought against black domination. I have cherished the ideal of a democratic and free society in which all people will live together in harmony and with equal opportunities. It is an ideal for which I live and for which I hope to see realized. But my Lord, if it need be, it is an ideal for which I am prepared to die. Too fiery. But we know, as Christian people, that you can lock up the one who hopes, but you cannot kill or lock up hope itself. Mandela's fight for freedom and his insistence on peace and a democratic nation inspired a hope in South Africa that would not end. People kept protesting, and they kept singing and dancing, and they kept the civil disobedience. And this hope sparked the international movement of divestment and hundreds of thousands of people all over the world engaged in these acts of hope and went to speak with bank presidents and were reprimanded by their seminary deans for doing so because the chairman of the board was president of Manufacturers Hanover and marching and protesting outside of the bank was just enough. It was an unpleasant graduation. I was privileged to be in South Africa a few months after Mandela's release, and it was a joyful time, but a fearful time, for no one knew what would happen. But God intervened in the person of Mandela, who I gained the wisdom of the ability to forgive and to pray for his enemies and to seek reconciliation and to expect the nation to put aside revenge and hatred and come together as one. And they did. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, my friends. The Holy Spirit that can burn away the evil in our hearts and souls and speak fiery words to challenge injustice. The Holy Spirit can ignite a hope that spreads like wildfire across the globe. Person after person, it sparks the conscience. God is, my friends, the fire-breathing dragon of love whose power can make us whole. We struggle and we hope for healing, and for the end of all that divides us. We pray for the end of violence and for Congress to just get along. We pray for the divisions in our families, that we can seek some understanding and live together in peace 
peaceable kingdom remains our hope because God wills it and God will do it. Every single one of us has the Holy Spirit. God does not mete out the Holy Spirit just to great people like Nelson Mandela. Every single one of us has access to the power of the love of God to seek understanding and to trust one another and to have compassion and to forgive and to hope and to hope. God is the fire-breathing dragon of love. Oh, my people, hope in the name of the Lord. Amen.